Step into our sermon. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs 31. And I'll invite you to begin looking at verse 20. We'll do a little review before we jump back in. This is the second part of our two-part message in Proverbs 31. It could have been probably several more parts in a manner of speaking. where It's more of a survey. and Remind you where we were. And give you a little reminder of where we're going again, some of the applications we've already seen in the text. Recall, we mentioned last time, as we stepped into Proverbs 31, that verses 10 through 31 are, in fact, an acrostic. That each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting at Aleph, and then going to Beit, and then Gimel, and Daleth, and through the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 verses, verses 10 through 31, and that this was, whenever we see that in Scripture, we also see it in the Psalms, uh, particularly Psalm 119, where we see um, chunks of eight verses, and the first eight verses, all the, each line begins with Aleph, and then the next eight verses, each line begins with Beit, and then the next eight, Gimel, and, and so much so that, in fact, even in our King James Bibles, the Scriptures are labeled with the Aleph and the Beth and the Gimel and the Daleth. And if you want to learn the Hebrew alphabet, all you have to do is go to Psalm 119 and look above each of these eight verse stanzas and you'll find the um, first or the each subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so here in verses 10 through 31, this is what we see. Verse 10, uh, in the Hebrew, um, the first word would have begun with Aleph. And then 11, Beth. And then 12, Gimel. And 13, Daleth all the way through to verse 31. And as we talked about this, we we spoke of why this is. It's mentioned that uh, the intent of this acrostic is for memorization purposes. You create an acrostic so that you can help yourself with the memorization. It gives you that key, right, to start out. Uh, When I was in Awana growing up, I don't think too many fundamentalist churches use Awana anymore because they've drifted um, from their former path. Uh, We've gone to other programs. But Awana was still in good shape when I was growing up. And when I was in Awana, um, we did a lot of memory verses. And and the particular thing with me when it came to memory is I never really did well at correlating the reference with the verse. But if if the person I was reciting to, he would look down, he'd say the reference... And he, he, he wouldn't even, after a while, they got to know me. They wouldn't even uh, uh, bother to wait for me to just start saying the verse. They'd say the reference, and then they'd give me the first word. And you're allowed one help, I think, or two helps, I don't remember. Um, but you're, you're allowed at least one help. And so they would, that would be the one help. They'd say the reference, they'd say the first word, and as soon as I knew the first word, I was off. I knew what the verse was, and I could recite the verse. That was a bit unfortunate because I should have been correlating the reference with the verse. Um, but that's kind of what's going on here. As, as they were going to recite this proverb of the virtuous woman, they could think in their minds, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, and they could go through and they'd have that little key to help them hit the next phrase because they knew what it started with because it went down the alphabet. Um, perhaps you had your children growing up memorize the ABC's verses. Um, uh, each A, B, C, and each, each um, letter would have a verse correlated to it that would begin with that letter. Um, 
I didn't have to do that, so I don't know what that is. But perhaps you could relate to that in some way, shape, or form. And what's ironic about that, or what's interesting about this as far as Proverbs 31, as we mentioned last week, is that it was not the women, typically, that were charged with reciting Proverbs 31. It was the men and the children. In fact, it was one of the things that they did at the beginning of each of their Sabbaths, every week, is the men and the children would stand up and they would recite Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And we do know that this was written to a king, a man named Lemuel, by his mother, and she was teaching him about the virtuous woman for his benefit. However, as we think about this today, and as we look upon this today, it is not just a benefit to men in this room, it is a benefit to the women themselves as well. And so we started talking about the virtuous wife. And this is a wife being spoken of here in Proverbs 31. Uh, we often call it the virtuous woman, which is true. A wife is a woman. But typically speaking, um, or perhaps we, we could be better off saying the virtuous wife because it is given particularly in a context of a wife. And thus far, we had three particular... Um, applications that we covered last week. That a virtuous wife is trustworthy. That a virtuous wife is loyal. And that a virtuous wife is industrious. And we talked through those. That the husband of a virtuous wife does not have to worry about that wife. Does not have to worry about his possessions in the hand of that wife. Does not have to worry about how his children will be raised as he delegates to that wife. That this wife is seeking her husband's best interests at all times. That his heart can safely trust in her. That he has no need of spoil. We talked about what that meant. That as he went out to war, he didn't have to worry about how much he was going to bring back. Because he knew that all that he already had at home, his investments and his inheritance, were going to be intact and most likely were going to be stronger than when he left them. Because he can trust his wife. The virtuous wife is also loyal. That she is not the kind of wife that's gossiping and bickering about him either to his face or behind his back. That she will speak well of him all the days of his life? No, all the days of her life. So till the very day that she dies, she is speaking well of her husband. She is speaking well of the man she married. She is not necessarily... That doesn't necessarily mean that this is the best man. It simply means that his wife is not speaking down of him, speaking down to him. She is a loyal wife. And then third, we talked about the wife, um, virtuous wife being an industrious wife. She's a busy woman. She thinks ahead for herself and for her family. She finds her fulfillment in her family's success. As the Proverbs, uh, as Proverbs 31 states it, she is the first to wake up and she is the last to go to bed. She is busy for her household. She's industrious. She's not frivolous. She's careful. She's prudent. She's planned. She's directed. She's devoted. She is industrious. And we're going to pick up this evening with verse 20, and we'll go, of course, through verse 31. Two more applications, and then some broader, perhaps more generalized application um, that may even be more pointed than our, our five that we've talked about. Verse 20, we see the Hebrew letter kulp there. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. 
Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. As we think about the virtuous woman, and if you can remember with me some of the other things we mentioned about her last week from the Scriptures, we know that she is a prudent woman, that she seeks um, her food from afar, that she is seeking good deals, that she is uh, considering a field and buying it, that she is continuing to add to the investments and to the legacy of her household and to the financial strength of her husband. And she is interested in the financial strength and stability of her household. However, that does not mean that she is a woman consumed with gain or consumed with money. The Scriptures tell us here that she is not driven by greed or by lust or by covetousness. She's driven by the desire to prosper her household, but is also keenly aware of the needs of those outside of her household. She doesn't see her money as a means for her to uh, live lavishly. She sees her money as a means by which to um, honor her husband as, uh, well, as she advances his household. And then she sees the money that has been entrusted to her as a means by which to bless others. She's eager to show sympathy. She's ready to help. She's not simply ready to give gifts at a distance here. Notice it says she stretches out her hand to the poor. She reaches forth her hands to the needy. That's very personal. It's not she sends them a, a Western Union from afar. Of course, that wouldn't quite uh, work in her day anyway. But that's, that's not the implication here anyway. The implication here is that she is engaging with the needy. She recognizes that the Lord has blessed her and she's not going to take her blessings and keep them to herself. She's going to recognize what biblical principle teaches all throughout the Scriptures that the Lord blesses in order that we may bless. That the Lord gives in order that we might have to give to those that are in need. We see that principle at least the very least, in 2 Corinthians 9. The virtuous woman is kind and she is generous in her prosperity. Verse 21 says, She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Hebrew letter Lamed here. Snow is not a rare occurrence in the Middle East can even be accompanied by deep cold at times. We often uh, think of the Middle East and uh, think of that desert climate, that desert region, and can kind of get in our heads the idea that um, it would be like further south in, in the Sahara or um, in Egypt where uh, it is a very rare thing for them to see cold weather. However, there are portions of Canaan of what um, we would consider Canaan that uh, do see snow quite regularly and do see the deepest of cold. So as um, the mother of Lemuel was writing this, this would not have been something foreign to him, the idea of cold weather and the need to account for cold weather. But such threats do not worry the virtuous woman because her industry and her foresight have prepared her family for such a time. We've spoken already of her industriousness, if we could call it that. And a great deal of that industry, as we see it in the Proverbs 31 wife, the virtuous wife, is foresight. We know every year that cold is coming. And so it behooves us to prepare for that cold. There are things that come, and it always kind of, it's always kind of a wonder to me. 
the things that can catch us off guard sometimes. Things that we know we ought to be ready for, but we're just not ready for. I don't know if sometimes it's wishful thinking. That actually happened to me this last winter. Winter kind of came in a weird fashion this, this last year, didn't it? It was like nice and nice and nice and nice and nice. And he kept pushing off winterizing things, pushing it off because it's gorgeous. It's, it's beautiful. It's comfortable. And then it was like, oh, there's winter. No, no, no uh, fall. Here you are. No more. You, you, don't, you don't get to go outside again for six months. And it was like that this year. And so um, I was going to put up lights, Christmas lights. We did that last year. We're going to do it this year. And I thought, okay, well, it's still really nice. Well, you, know, you wait till that flavor, of, of course, it felt fallish at times, but you wait for that, okay, winter's coming, and then you put up the lights, and you don't, you don't get around to it before that. Well, well, there was no time for that. Winter came. Lights weren't up. It didn't happen. Well, in foresight, the wise father would have thought, you know what, winter could come. It's into November. It's getting close to Thanksgiving. I should put these lights up. It didn't happen. We can do that sometimes, but as the scriptures describe the virtuous woman, it describes her as a particular, of a woman of particular foresight. A woman who thinks ahead. A woman who knows things are coming and prepares for them for the good of her household. The significance of the the color scarlet here as it's used, she's not afraid of the snow, her household are clothed with scarlet, is unknown. I read several men and and there are only uh, perhaps some guesses as to what that could mean. It's thought that perhaps many of the warmer woolen clothing of the day were of a scarlet color by their very nature and thus would imply that she's fitted her household with clothing that is most appropriate for the necessities of care and comfort during those cold winter months. And it's thought that that's probably the idea, not necessarily um, implicitly an idea of royalty. We know uh, that Proverbs 31 is speaking of what we would call a noble woman because she has servants, because she has an estate, she, has, she buys a vineyard, Uh, it's added to the the collection of investments her husband has already made. So we know that this is a family of means. But it doesn't seem to necessarily be connected to means as much as it's connected simply to the kind of fabric and um, the particular colors of of the wool at that time. Verse 22. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. This, on the other hand, does imply something about her standard of living. Coverings of tapestry, you notice um, there in the Hebrew, it literally means the cover of a bed. Verse 22 presents a somewhat rare situation for the virtuous woman as, as we see the panorama of this virtuous wife's life This is rare. Now, that doesn't mean that it it is rare that it would happen in her life, but just as we see all of the virtues being extolled, this one's only mentioned briefly. And it is one where the woman is focused in some capacity upon herself. We have seen her focus upon her husband. We have seen her focus upon her servants. We've seen her focus upon her estate and her husband's investments. We've seen her focus upon her family. We've seen her focus upon her children. But that doesn't mean she just lets herself go. And that's what we see in verse 22. The first phrase indicates that her house is in order. It's well furnished, carefully displayed. She has coverings of tapestries. Her bed, her 
uh, house is in order, but also it says her clothing is silk and purple. This indicates a very well-presented woman. Silk and purple would have been um, colors and materials of the day of very fine quality. In fact, today they still would be. They still are. Silk is a fine fabric. Purple is still, to some degree, a color. Not when it's just worn in your random t-shirt. But it can be a color that has a great majesty to it as we think of kings of old. Um, we think of the, the purple robe, do we not? Or the scarlet robe perhaps. But oftentimes we think of the purple robes and purple being that color of royalty, being that color of dignity, being that color of nobility. This is a woman that is not slovenly in appearance. She's not unkept. She presents herself with dignity. She is, is not caring for the things of her household to the expense of her own presentation for the very reason that her presentation matters to the reputation of her household. That as she presents herself in the community, the way she presents herself matters to how her family is presented. Uh, I'm the pastor of Legacy Baptist Church. Thanks. I am, believe it or not. As the pastor of Legacy Baptist Church, in Buffalo, I try to present myself in a particular way. When I go to the bank to pick up the money bag, I, as best as I can, try not to pick that up in ratty clothing. Maybe I have to. I've been working on the car or whatever, and it just needs to get done. I need to go pick up the bag, whatever the case may be. But I try to put on clothing that would well represent Legacy Baptist Church in the eyes of the people at the bank. When I go out into the community, I try to make sure I've got at least a polo on that's tucked in and that my hair is done and that I've showered that day. And, and unless I'm running to the auto parts store and I've got grease all over my face and, and I just need something real quick, I'm going to try to present myself in such a way that is becoming of our church. And I do so because I want to be in a constant state of honor to the church that I represent in our community. So that if I'm taking my girls to a park and I get into a conversation with someone and I say, yep, I'm the pastor of Legacy Baptist Church and I'm able to bridge that gap and, and start to talk to them about the church, I'm not telling them I'm the pastor of Legacy Baptist Church and I've got the holy t-shirt and the, the jeans with the holes in the knees and and, uh, and I, I look like a bum on the street, and here I am, you know, the pastor of Legacy Baptist Church. It's just not well presented. That's the idea of the virtuous wife. She presents herself well because it presents her family well. Proverbs 12, verse 4 tells us this. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. As rottenness in his bones. That truth is likewise reflected in verse 23. Look at it with me. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders in the land. This verse implies that the virtuous woman advances the respect of her husband among those that know him. Proverbs 12 told us a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. 
What is a crown? It is that which is placed upon someone and is a display of their dignity, is a display of their authority, is a display of their nobility, is a display of their glory. As we picture the Lord Jesus Christ, and as He comes one day, the Scriptures describe Him as having a crown of glory. That crown as the manifestation of the glory that we have. And Proverbs 12, verse 4 tells us that a virtuous woman is that crown for her husband. On the contrary, a woman that is not virtuous is rottenness to his bones. And so here is a man that sits in the gates. He's known in the gates. What were the gates? Perhaps you're familiar. The gates of the city in Jewish culture, would have been the place where the affairs of the city took place. We can see this um, case in point in the book of Ruth. As Boaz goes to redeem Ruth, he goes to the gates of the city to speak to the leaders of the city. The gates were, as it were, the town hall of the city. It's where the men that had any sort of reputation, the men that had been chosen to lead the city, this is where they would congregate to make decisions to make judgments and the like. The men that sat sat there were men of influence in the city, men of reputation, men of honor. And a part of the reputation of this husband that brought him into a place where the people of the city said, that is a man we can trust. That is a man we want leading over us. That is a man we want in a rulership position. Is that his wife had a good testimony is that people saw his wife, people saw what his wife did, people saw that she was industrious, that she was trustworthy, that she was loyal, and they said, there is a woman that is reflecting well upon her husband. There is a husband that knew what he was doing when he married her. This man obviously has some wisdom. This man is running his household well. And even if she's the one that is doing a lot of the grunt work of the household, she is doing it for the, the favor of her husband and it's working. And he has favor among the elders of the land because his household is a success, because his family is a success, and it is attributed by and large to his virtuous wife. So she becomes the crown on his head. Verse 24. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girls unto the merchants. To this point, the virtuous woman has taken care to import that which would be most beneficial to our household, seeking her food from afar. The text now implies that she not only imports, but she also exports. She sells the fruit of her own labor to far-off lands. Her work is of sufficient quality that it benefits not only herself, but it benefits all who use it. She does a good job in what she does, and she's able to be a benefit to her household, not just in her management, but in her actual labor. Verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. We've talked about a great number of physical attributes of the virtuous wife tonight. Yet for all the ways in which the virtuous wife is physically capable, all that she is physically and all that she has materially pales in comparison to her character. In fact, what she is physically, what she is materially, is nothing more than the natural extension of what she is in character, of what she is internally 
the thing which adorns her and which people see most quickly in her is her strength and her honor. She's adorned in virtue. You see the Hebrew word there, strength, meaning might or power. Honor meaning magnificence or beauty. This is not the same word that is translated virtue. Recall back in verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman? And I told you that that word is the word virtuous there, hayil. The same word that's used of David and his mighty man and of Gideon when they're, and of Boaz when they're called mighty man of valor or mighty man of wealth or simply David's mighty men. The Gibor Hayil, the men of honor, the men of valor, the men of wealth, the men of might. Well, this is the, the Isha Hayil, the woman of might, the woman of honor, but it's a different word. These are different words to describe her. More character words, strength and honor are her clothing. This is what covers her. When a person looks at you, they see your clothing, right? People say, can say, often say, the clothing makes the man. You want to go to an interview? Well, guess what? The clothing makes the man. It is the first impression. When a person sees you, the first impression they get of you is clothing. I even told you already tonight, when I go out in the community, I try to look nice. I try to dress nicely because when a person sees me, the first thing they're going to see is my clothing and it is going to reflect upon my dignity and the dignity of my church. Now, we've already talked tonight about the physical clothing, the silk and purple, her desire to look well exteriorly, ex externally, <laughs> externally. However, as the scriptures speak of that which truly clothes her, it speaks of strength and honor. This is not a concept foreign to the rest of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 speak of this. As Peter speaks of the woman that um, should be the wife, the virtuous wife, the wife who would, um, without the word, be able to win her husband through her testimony, he says this in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Who's adorning... Let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. The essence of submission and diligence is what a woman is supposed to be. Strength, and honor are intended to clothe her. Meekness, not weakness, but strength under control. Meekness is intended to clothe her. A spirit that is quiet, not one that is boisterous, not one that is forward, one that is meek, one that is under control. This is to be the adorning of the virtuous wife. This is to be that which people know of you as a virtuous wife. We'll pick up with that in a little bit. Verse 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Certainly the virtuous woman is a woman of capability. Certainly, as well, the virtuous woman is a woman of character. She's a woman of wisdom. 
She's a woman of kindness. We'll see in a little bit that the woman that fears the Lord is the one that is praised. Well, the Scriptures do tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that the virtuous wife, the virtuous woman, is a woman of wisdom. When she opens her mouth, what comes out is wisdom. She's the type of woman that other women can come to. She has experience. She is thoughtful. She is discreet. She is perceptive. She is kind and merciful and tender. She's benevolent. She's a good woman. This is the virtuous wife. This is a far cry from what society pictures wives to be today. So we've talked about it several times and how society pictures a woman uh, asserting herself, asserting her rights, asserting her power, asserting her ability. Don't take away from the fact that women have that ability. But how she presents herself is in wisdom and kindness. It's in carefulness. Verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. The virtuous woman is not a woman who is content to eat of the fruit of others' labors at the expense of her own. The virtuous woman is industrious to the extent that her family eats of the benefits of her labors, not the labors of another, tells us. That she looks well to the way of her own household that they eat the bread, not of her idleness, but of her effort. It is an insult to the virtuous wife to know that her family is eating from the hand of others because she herself has not been active in providing for them. Because she herself has been lazy. Because she has not been willing to put forth the effort. The bread that she and her family eat is well deserved. It's not simply the fruit of her own laziness and unwillingness to work. She's a hard-working woman. She's not a lazy woman. Verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. We've discussed the reward of the virtuous woman and that it is found in the success of her household. That as the virtuous woman pursues that which is ideal, as she pursues that which her heart desires the most, what she is pursuing is her husband's good and her household's benefit. And yet, that does not negate the reality that such virtue will draw the praise of those who are direct beneficiaries of her efforts. The virtuous woman has a position of respect in her home, not implicitly because of who she is as wife and mother, though we talked this morning, children, about the honor that is due to our parents, but because of what she is, because she is a virtuous wife, because she is a virtuous mother, and because she performs her duties with faithfulness and with grace. So in other words, wives in this room, this morning you heard me preach a message that directly stated that your children are to honor you regardless of how you are that they have the biblical expectation laying upon them to honor you as of the Lord. However, you ought to make it easy for them. Your character, your work ethic, who you are and what you do ought to shine forth so that your children 
have no struggle honoring you in the Lord if they are seeking what's right because you are a woman that is worthy of honor. Verse 29. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. The proverb now speaks directly to the virtuous woman. Not speaking to Lemuel here. He's not a virtuous daughter. He's a king. And his mother is the one writing to him. But here the poetry of this section actually diverts from speaking to the man and is now speaking to this woman, this virtuous woman, this woman which we don't even necessarily know to be um, in the figure of, of a particular person being written about, simply about this ideal that's being written about. Now, because this proverb is obviously intended for memorization, it's unlikely that there is a specific woman in view here and simply to address that woman, the ideal woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, the virtuous wife. If we were to describe the virtuous woman, if we were to describe the virtuous wife, this verse would describe her as second to none. If we were to describe the virtuous wife, we would call her irreplaceable. I told you today, my, my wife and children were not here this morning, and I, I've got to admit, I'm a much happier man that they're here this evening. I'm a much happier man. I don't know what it is, but it was like this afternoon when I finally decided my girls are healthy enough to come, I was ecstatic. I was literally walking around the house with a spring in my step. I was so happy that my family was going to be able to come this evening. I don't like coming to church without my family. I don't like being here and not having the support of my wife. I don't like being able to debrief, not being able to debrief with her after the service. I don't like not being able to talk about things that we learned, not being able to talk about the, the things that we, we fellowshiped about uh, with her on the way home. I don't like that. My wife is irreplaceable. I need her. She has put herself in that position because of her character and because of her effort. My wife doesn't have to be irreplaceable. My wife could live in such a way that she is simply tagging along, maybe even dragging along. But that's not her. I have found her to be irreplaceable. Verse 29 says, Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou, Proverbs 31, wife, thou, virtuous wife, excellest them all, ascends above them all. Verse 30, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That word literally meaning she shall shine or she shall be celebrated. As the proverb nears its close, one thing must be made abundantly clear about the virtuous wife. Throughout all of these virtues and graces and characteristics that have been mentioned, and we've mentioned many, never once was it intended that the focus would be placed upon her exterior. Never was it intended that the focus would be solely upon what she looks like or what she does. It's not about what she looks like or how naturally talented she is. The proverb is about character. It's about initiative. It's about 
industry. It's about those things that are rooted exclusively in godliness, exclusively in her desire to please the Lord and obey the Lord. She embodies 1 Corinthians 10.31 that whether she's eating or drinking or whatsoever she's doing, she's doing it to the glory of God. She makes her household a success. Why? Because she's glorifying God. Because she is embodying that which God has called her to do as a wife when she makes her household a success. She brings her husband honor. Why? Because in doing so, she is embodying that which God has called her to do as a wife and she is doing it for God's glory. She carries herself with dignity. Why? Because as she carries herself with dignity, she reflects well upon her husband, she reflects well upon her family, she reflects well upon her household, and she uh, eventually or um, ultimately reflects well upon her God. It's a character issue. And ladies, as we've considered all these elements of who the virtuous wife is, you don't have servants. We don't live in a culture that really places the idea of having servants in your household as one that, that most people do. Perhaps a different age, a different time, we could relate to that better. We don't necessarily clothe ourselves in silk and purple today, at least regularly. We don't consider fields and buy them. You don't just drive by a field and say, oh, that would be great to add to our state. I'm just going to go pick that up today. And then throw a bunch of servants out in the field and, and, and uh, begin tilling and, and, and gathering the, the fruit of the vine. That's not really us today. But that's okay because it's not those things that made her virtuous. Those are the manifestations of her virtue rooted in her industry, rooted in her trustworthiness, rooted in her loyalty, and then the other characteristics which we'll apply in just a moment. See, it's, it's not about what she does. It's about what compelled her to do what, what she did. Industry and grace and purity and wisdom. That is the virtuous wife. And verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. Same word. Shine. Celebrate. She, is, she shines above them all because her virtue compels her to actions which bring her to that point of excellence. Again, we're not specifically saying that if you're not as talented as the next, or you're not as beautiful as the next, then you can't reach this point. That's not what it's saying at all, in fact. Because her clothing is in her character. The fruit of the virtuous woman's hand is the good which has been brought forth by her conduct. The blessings that have been poured out upon her household touch her as well so that she receives of the blessings of her own hand. Unhappy and ungodly is the wife and mother who proves to be nothing but an anchor to her husband and family. Unhappy and ungodly is the wife and mother who spends her days in selfishness instead of in devotion. Unhappy and ungodly is the wife and mother whose time is spent berating her husband and children rather than laboring for their success and their joy. Happy is the wife and mother who is praised by virtue of her own godliness. Happy is the wife and mother whose whole household is brought into joy and comfort on the back of her efforts. Ladies, 
what I've described to you last week and this evening, this is not a second class job. This is not you being a second class citizen. This is not you being a slave to a male dominated chauvinistic society. This is a blessed role that you have been given as a function of society. Like the support staff of a great leader or like the supply line to soldiers. The wife and the mother is an essential link that enables those in her household to excel. Maybe it's not the one at the top. But you know, God has not made us all to be the one at the top. Not everyone can be the one at the top. And the success of a great leader is not rooted only in himself. It's rooted in all of those who are working for him. It's rooted in all of those that are laboring to make him successful. The success of a great army is not simply found in the soldiers at the front lines. It can't be. There has to be a supply line going all the way back to home base that is allowing these soldiers to be successful. And without the supply line, those soldiers do nothing. It's the same thing in sports, is it not? It's not just that one man who's scoring all the points that can be attributed for his success. He had coaches, he had trainers, he had equipment manufacturers, he had so many people on his support staff that are laboring to make him successful. And when he's successful, they're successful. Because they know that they can't necessarily be the one at the top. They can't be the one at the front lines. They can't all be the leader, but they can be the one to help the leader get where he needs to be. Wife, you have not been called by God to be at the top. You haven't. You have not been called by God to lead your household. And perhaps in the back of your mind, you're saying, thank God. Your husband gets to deal with that. Your husband gets to have the weight of providing the family on his shoulders. Providing for the family. Your husband gets to have the weight of where are we going to live? Where are we going to, to go to church? What are we going to do next? How am I going to lead my household? That's on him. He carries it around with him every day. You don't carry that around with you. But, you have been given this tremendous support role. And in this role, you have the privilege and the opportunity to lift that weight off of his shoulders a little bit, to partner with him to carry that load as God has called you to do. And when you exercise the character of the virtuous wife that we have seen, you do that for Him. That's not a second class role. That's not lowly. That's not to be scoffed at, sneered at. That's not to be brushed aside. That's a position of honor. And it's not just honorable, but it is essential, ladies. It is essential. And the fruit of your efforts will be the praise of your virtue. The fruit of your efforts will be the praise of your virtue. Two more applications. We've talked about the first three. A virtuous wife is trustworthy. A virtuous wife is loyal. A virtuous wife is industrious. Two more this evening. And then we'll close. Number four. A virtuous wife is generous. 
The scriptures describe all believers as devoted to the needs of others. It's a part of being a believer. Such is the case of the virtuous wife. Her efforts do not cause her to be wrapped up in herself. Her efforts do not cause her to enfold upon her family as if there's no one outside of her walls. She is devoted to her family. She is devoted to her husband. And yet that doesn't mean her hand is not reaching out. That doesn't mean she is not looking out. That doesn't mean she's, looking for, not, she's not looking for the less fortunate to help them. She is sympathetic. She is caring. She is generous. Number five, a virtuous wife is wise. The Scriptures tell us, as we mentioned before, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 30 tells us that favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Wisdom is not an extension of knowledge, ladies. Wisdom is not about how how many years you went to school or how many books you've read or how much you've memorized. Wisdom is not about education. It is not about disposition, nor is it about action. Wisdom is that which comes from above. As James 3.17 tells us that wisdom is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That is the wisdom that comes from above. And such wisdom is found in the virtuous wife. You may not have all the answers, but you have a close personal walk with the one who does. That is the wisdom of the virtuous wife. This list, perhaps ladies, is overwhelming. Even just the five applications that you see there on your screen, much less all of the other things that we scattered in between. And yet I remind you that your virtue does not depend upon you getting a 100% on the what a virtuous wife does test. Because as we have well mentioned, the Proverbs speak of an attainable ideal. But it also focuses upon the reality that all of these virtues are the natural extension of the woman who has a proper relationship with God and is therefore excelling in the character virtues. And so as we close this evening particularly as I speak to wives and and young ladies and men as as you consider your future wives or the wife you have. We're not focusing in on actions as much as we're focusing in on the character that compels the actions. The character of the virtuous woman. And verse 30 just crowns it that the woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. As you devote yourself to properly living out the principles of the Word of God, you will find that you are the virtuous woman that God describes and desires you to be. But this demands loyalty to the Word of God, both in command and in implication. You cannot expect to ignore the expectations of Scripture for women and still become a woman of virtue. You can't expect that. You cannot expect to ignore the command to submit to your husband and be a wife of virtue. It won't work. You cannot expect to be lazy, to be slothful and be a wife of virtue. It doesn't work. You cannot cut corners because it isn't about you becoming virtuous. It's not that you have this template now and you say, okay, 
well, I can do this and do this, and then I can work my way into this part of the virtue here, and, and I think I can balance all of this stuff out so that at the end of the, every day I can look down my list and say, yep, I am a virtuous woman. It's not like that. It's like the idea of becoming a godly person. You can't just say one day, I'm going to become a godly person. Let's just check down this list of godliness, and now look, I'm a godly person. It doesn't work that way, does it? Nothing spiritual happens from a checklist. Nothing spiritual happens simply by becoming it. It's about manifesting our relationship with God. That is what it means to be godly. It is as we submit ourselves to the Word of God, the fruit of the Spirit is manifest through us. In the same way, virtue is not about me wearing skirts that are the right length, about me doing certain chores or having certain roles around the house. It's not about that. That's not what defines virtue. Defer, uh, what defines virtue is character rooted in the Word of God manifest out of your life. And so we've seen a great deal of the fruit of virtue here. Virtue is rooted in a woman's fear of the Lord. It's about your character manifesting clear virtue as you model yourself after biblical ideals. So as we close, wives, how are you doing at being the virtu virtuous wife this evening? Are you trustworthy? Are you loyal? Are you industrious? Are you generous? Are you wise? And you say, Pastor, I'm not doing that well. Well, the solution is not to pull out a checklist. The solution is to, as you read through Proverbs 31 and as you read through 1 Peter 3, seek to become what the Bible wants you to become in character. Young ladies, you're not married yet. Are you becoming the virtuous woman that can then become a virtuous wife? Are you modeling your character in such a way that you are exhibiting the manifestations and the fruits of the godliness that is rooted in the fear of the Lord in your life? Are, do you find yourself as someone who is wise and generous and industrious and loyal and trustworthy in your own relationships? Or do you find yourself being frivolous, selfish, lazy? Are you manifesting these virtues? Let's think about that as we pray together.